Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Police often rely on eyewitnesses to identify potential suspects, but experts have suggested these accounts can be inaccurate given the trauma of having seen a crime take place. On today's show, we'll hear how the wrongful arrest of a black teen based on a misidentification led to a movement in Colorado to change the practice. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Police often rely on eyewitnesses to identify suspects. But experts say witnessing a crime can be traumatic, and the brain is often uncertain on the details. This is especially true when trying to identify suspects with a show-up at a crime scene, which usually involves one person versus a group of people in a lineup. The misidentification and wrongful arrest of a black teen led to a grassroots movement here in Colorado to change this practice. KUNC's Stephanie Daniel has more. On May 19, 2018, Charles Battle II was feeling great. The 17-year-old had spent the day with his girlfriend at the Five Points Jazz Festival near downtown Denver. And then went back to her place, hung out for a little while. Trying to get home before his curfew, he left around 10 and got on a city bus for the journey back to his parents' house in northeast Denver. Battle transferred to a second bus before getting dropped off and having to walk the rest of the way. And then... I got picked up by the cops. Hey, keep your hands up. Walk towards me. Body camera footage from the Denver Police Department shows Battle, who is black, with his hands in the air, obeying the officers. Stop right there. Hey, man, drop down to your knees. He's wearing black shoes, black jeans, and a black coat with gray sleeves and a gray hood. Set your phone down. Interlace your fingers behind your head. I didn't, at that time, see that they had guns pointed at me. Three officers approach him. He's handcuffed and put in the back of one of four police cars on scene. Two other officers are standing by. I thought I was going to die right there. Denver 911, what's the address of your emergency? About 30 minutes earlier, in a nearby neighborhood, a Hispanic woman saw two men in gray sweatpants and hoodies attempting to steal her husband's truck. When she approached, they chased her with a small knife and then fled. She speaks Spanish, so her daughter calls 911. Okay, I need a description of them. What race were they? They were black. How many suspects were there? They were two. Once Battle is in custody, an officer picks up the woman and drives her to his location. When she arrives, another officer takes Battle out of the police car. Still handcuffed, he's placed where she can see him from the back seat. She identifies him as one of the perpetrators. And at that moment, Charles Battle II, who had never been in trouble with the law, was going to jail. Now you're under arrest. He was arrested because of a show-up. It's a form of identification where a witness is shown only one suspect close to where the crime occurred. It differs from other types of lineups that have several people to choose from and are usually done at a police station. Michael Phibbs is the chief of police for Auraria Campus. So in your experience, how much are sharp lineups used? I guess that would really depend on your jurisdiction and what is going on. Phibbs has been a police officer for 30 years. He rarely used show-ups when he was working in Summit County, and only occasionally while policing in the town of Elizabeth. There, he says victims of crime often knew their perpetrators, and suspects were easier to find. 
But in an urban area like Auraria Campus, people are more transient. A show-up is helpful for crimes like theft or assault. We actually use it fairly often because we have a lot of calls that involve people who are moving quickly. If we don't briefly detain them to make sure we're talking to the right or wrong person, they can easily be gone. But opponents say this practice can be manipulated by law enforcement. Suspects might be commanded to say something or walk in a certain way, or in Battle's case, be in handcuffs while they are identified. An eyewitness may also feel pressure from officers to positively identify a suspect. Because it is inherently suggestive. You know, you are presenting one image and only one person, right, to another person. There are no other options. (laughs) It's an up or down. Rebecca Brown is director of policy for the Innocence Project National Organization. Show up, she says, should be used sparingly and are most effective at eliminating a person who matches the description of the suspect. I don't believe that it really delivers the kind of accurate and reliable identification that we want. Another issue is cross-racial identifications. Research shows that racial groups are not good at identifying people of other groups, like the Hispanic woman who identified Battle, who is Black. To me, it's a recipe for disaster, right, to have both an inherently suggestive procedure coupled with what we know about the fact that people are not good at identifying other racial groups. This can also lead to misidentifications, which happens more often than people think. The Innocence Project has a data set with 375 DNA-based exonerations in the U.S., and about 70 percent of them involved at least one eyewitness misidentification. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, mistaken witness IDs contributed to 28 percent of exonerations. The truth of the matter is people get it wrong all the time. In 2015, a law was put on the books in Colorado requiring law enforcement agencies to adopt policies related to best practices for show-ups. But there was no enforcement or oversight. The law also didn't ask agencies to track how often they used the practice. Charles Battle II was arrested for attempted aggravated robbery at 11.46 p.m. His parents, who were expecting him home by 10.30, were frantic. I was very upset. This is his mother, Sharon. I had no idea what had happened, and he wasn't answering his phone. And I was calling over and over and over again, just nonstop. They were able to follow his movements via an app that tracked his phone. They saw it moving around in various parts of the city for several hours. His father even went downtown to look for him, but had no luck and returned home. The later it got, it's like, you're a black mom. You think about what you see on TV. You think about the stories you hear from other family members. You think about other kids who've had encounters with the police. You think about other community members who've had that. So your mind is all over the place. Then at 2.45 a.m., the police called her husband. Their son was being held at Gilliam Youth Services Center in downtown Denver. It was actually a relief when the call came in to say, you know, that he had been arrested. And he talked to his father. I could hear him talking to his father. And I'm like, okay, he's alive. They finally got to see him the next day. He just said, Mom and Dad, I didn't do this. And we said, okay. Charles was released into his parents' custody, and he graduated from high school about a week later. He was offered a plea deal and a chance to go to a diversion program several times. He repeatedly turned them down because going to a program would be an admission of guilt. Once you're in that system and then once you get accustomed to being in it, it's hard to get out of. I have family that's had that experience, so it's a big deal. 
it's a huge deal to be uh, accused of a crime and then agree to it. If convicted, he faced up to six years in prison. Sharon is a mom, first and foremost. She's also an Air Force veteran, a pastor, and pastor's wife. Add to that list a volunteer activist and board member with Together Colorado, a nonpartisan, multiracial, multi-faith community organization with congregations across the state. The Monday after her son was arrested, Sharon attended a leadership meeting for Together Colorado. Sharon comes in and she's real quiet. That's Kamau Allen. The 27-year-old was a community organizer with the group in 2018. He says she finally spoke up near the end of the meeting. And that's when she told us the story about what happened. And when she told us, like you could hear a pen drop from another room. Everybody was crying. And I said that he should be able to walk down the street and not be arrested. He should be able to be comfortable in his own skin, in his own neighborhood. Together, Colorado members include 220 Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, Muslim, and other congregations. But most involved are white. I challenge the white people in the group to do something about this because white people in this country are still the people who are in power. If they don't see it and do something about it and bring others into the mix, it's not going to change. Allen was one of the only young black men working at Together Colorado at that time. He, too, had negative experiences with the police. And his uncle served 21 years for a crime he didn't commit. So he could relate on a deeper level. It was traumatizing. It brought up for me, you know, a reminder that I'm not safe, you know, walking, driving. At Sharon Battle's urging, Together Colorado got to work. They packed the courtroom at pretrial hearings, asked people to write letters to the Denver District Attorney, and raised money for legal fees. Our number one goal right then and there was make sure that these cases are dropped and to do everything that we can. Their efforts and the work of his lawyer paid off. The case against Charles Battle II was dismissed without prejudice six months later. But that meant charges could still be refiled. If I have any, any other police contact, they can always bring this up right out the, out the dirt, and I'm right back in the same spot. Before the arrest, Charles had planned to go to college and get a business degree. He hopped back on that path and enrolled at a local community college, but it only lasted a semester. I was depressed. I couldn't handle the, the course load. It was, it, it, I was going through a lot, you know. I, I didn't see the point, you know. It was, I, I just wasn't motivated anymore, you know. I am thankful to God that my son is alive. Here's Sharon Battle again. But so many sons and daughters are put in the position of facing this criminal system and being swept up in this pipeline every day. This is not the end of Charles' story, however. A local lawmaker told Together Colorado they had two options, sue the Denver Police Department or change the law. The things that happened to Charles Battle II happened to thousands and thousands more people every day. They decided to change the law. That's KUNC's Stephanie Daniel reporting on an eyewitness identification procedure called a show-up. Coming up in just a moment, we'll hear how Charles's experience led to a new law. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. In 2018, 17-year-old Charles Battle II was arrested for attempted aggravated robbery in Denver. He was positively identified as the suspect by an eyewitness during a show-up. A show-up is a one-on-one identification where the eyewitness is only presented with one suspect. 
The charges against him were eventually dropped, but his ordeal inspired the Battle Family and Together Colorado, a nonpartisan, multiracial, multi-faith community organization, to take action. Here's KUNC's Stephanie Daniel with what happened. I think this is the best place to sit. I'm at the home of Marilyn Ackerman. The retired social worker and librarian is a volunteer activist and leader with Together Colorado and its transforming justice team. We are trying to transform the justice system to be fair and equitable for all on all sides of the law. Together Colorado has worked on legislative and community issues in the past, including a 2018 amendment to abolish slavery and paid family leave and payday loan bills. But show-ups would be different. The organization took the lead on creating the new legislation. A lot of people think we have law backgrounds and research backgrounds, and we did not. We are self-taught, we are self-motivated, we are community-oriented. One of their first actions was a community organizing event at Shorter Community AME Church, the oldest black church in Colorado. Denver Police Chief Paul Pazin was invited to come answer questions in front of the diverse 600-person crowd. But Ackerman says they didn't get their hopes up. We expected him to say no to our demands. He said yes to all of them and yes to work with us. We engaged in meaningful conversation and dialogue, uh, showing what the issues and challenges were. Initially, Together Colorado wanted show-ups to be abolished, but that wasn't realistic. So they pivoted and decided to reform how police conduct them. The Denver Police Department got on board and implemented new trainings and policies. In December 2020, the department became the first agency in the country to collect data on show-ups. And as of last November, DPD has conducted 83 of them. The goal, Pazin says, was to remove subjectivity. We don't want to ever contribute to an innocent person being uh, unfairly arrested or prosecuted. We want to make sure that we are arresting the right people. The facts of the case of Charles Battle should make us all uncomfortable. We've heard this story, an African-American with a hoodie. That's Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser. And the idea that being African-American and wearing any kind of hoodie automatically makes you a suspect offends me and should offend all of us. His office oversees the Colorado Peace Officer Standards and Training. They partnered with Payson and the Mesa County Sheriff's Office to develop training for non-biased witness identification procedures, including show-ups. It's critical that we change the culture so officers aren't finding themselves resorting to such tactics that are fundamentally unfair to anyone accused. His office also worked closely with Together Colorado. The group was happy with the progress being made, but their focus remained the same. Get legislation passed so all law enforcement agencies had to adopt these policies. The legislative process that they led is unlike anything I'd seen before. It's a model for citizen leadership, for servant leadership, because they held conversations with all stakeholders. They listened, they asked questions, they were thoughtful, they were creative. Vicki Wilhite attends Shorter and is a social justice activist and community organizer with Together Colorado. One secret to the group's success, she says, is they begin conversations talking about values, not a problem. At the end of the day, we all just want to make it home safely to our families. I can start just with that, and that's a value that we all can get on board with. Wilhite is also the team's data analysis expert. 
She tapped into their network of congregations and gave virtual presentations about show-ups to houses of worship statewide. So that we can educate them on this and get them behind that as well. She customized presentations for specific religions, but all of them included a slide on the golden rule. Every religion, I, I mean, has a golden rule. It may sound a little differently, et cetera, but if we just could remember that and go by that, it would make a huge difference. Wilhite would end with a call to action, asking congregations to get involved and talk to their local legislators. The crux of House Bill 1142 is to address procedures around a practice called show-up identification. That's Democratic State Representative Jennifer Bacon speaking during last year's legislative session. She co-sponsored the Eyewitness Identification Show-Up Regulations Bill, along with Senator Julie Gonzalez. The goal was to eliminate the subjectiveness and suggestiveness in the practice. That's what the bill really does. It creates formal practice around the type of identification that all law enforcement has to abide by. Bacon first heard about the arrest of Charles Battle II from his mom, Sharon. They are her constituents, but her support for the bill went beyond this family. I do represent Northeast Denver, but I represent African-Americans across the state. I represent low-income communities across the state. State data shows black and brown people are disproportionately arrested in Colorado. And as an attorney, Bacon understands the lasting impact the criminal justice system can have on people of color better than most legislators. You know, the way that I labeled this, I said, this is a tagging system. You know, this system, once you have a touch point with it, won't let you go. Even if you're cleared of it, now you have an arrest record. And forget if you've even been convicted. An arrest record is a big red flag that's always there when you apply for a job, an apartment, or even an academic scholarship, she says. This is an incredible injustice. And that is not what the criminal justice system is supposed to be. House Bill 1142 was introduced last March after the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis Police Department and the ensuing racial justice protests. Bacon says the political climate did make legislators more open to the bill, but the perseverance of the Battle family and Together Colorado really pushed it forward. They got bipartisan support, and it was because they were able to talk to the truth of the matter. So, you know, I truly believe that justice really does mean something to a lot of people, regardless of their political party. And Together Colorado was able to remind folks of that. Together Colorado met with over 80 legislators. They worked with a lobbyist to draft the bill based on the policies and trainings the attorney general's office created. They also talked to progressive district attorneys, public defenders, lawyers, experts, law enforcement, and those who'd been wrongly arrested through a show-up. The Judiciary Committee will please come to order. Many testified on behalf of the bill, including Denver District Attorney Beth McCann, whose office charged Charles Battle II with attempted aggravated robbery. We definitely need the safeguards in place that this bill will um, encourage or require. Denver has already implemented these safeguards, um, and I believe that this will be really helpful throughout the rest of the state. Members of the Judiciary Committee, my name is Charles Battle II, and my life was changed forever at 17 years old. And Charles testified in front of both the House and Senate Judiciary Committees. I was wrongfully incriminated and spent time in jail for something I didn't do because of an unjust and unfair show up. I'm here today in support of HB 1142, asking you to make my pain and my story a positive tool for change. His mom, Sharon, spoke too. My son's experience is not an isolated incident. 
This happens every day in cities across Colorado and across the country. I'm counting on all of you to support HB 21-1142 that limits the admissibility of show-up eyewitness identifications in court and standardizes the use of best practices by law enforcement across the state. Both the House and the Senate passed the bill, and Governor Jared Polis signed it into law in June of 2021. I'm really proud of my neighbors. That's Representative Jennifer Bacon again. She hopes together Colorado's accomplishment will inspire more people to get involved in the legislative process. I know as a legislator, I can't do it without my neighbors. We definitely need base to show up and to say these are experiences and this is what we want to change. And this is an example of how it can work. And it does work. Parts of the new law went into effect on January 1st. It regulates how and when a show-up identification can be used. For example, it has to be conducted in a well-lit area and the subject can't be handcuffed. Police must ask the eyewitness how confident they are in the ID and the courts can suppress or throw out the show-up if it wasn't properly conducted. Next year, law enforcement agencies will be required to collect data. Charles Battle II and his mom Sharon are standing on a busy street in northeast Denver, close to where he was wrongfully arrested. How do you feel knowing that your family helped get a law pass? I feel great, actually, um, but I'm doubtful on the difference it's going to make. I think a lot of our justice system needs to be just straight up gutted and replaced. Charles is 21 years old now. It's been three and a half years since he was misidentified through a show-up, and he's still working through the trauma. It's an afterthought in my mind. It's, it's just definitely there, but, you know, I just try to take things day by day, I guess. Sharon says the ordeal has been hard on the entire family, and she, too, has mixed feelings about the new law. I think it was phenomenal in terms of the work we were able to do, but at the same time, I feel like it's only the beginning of some sort of accountability. She now sees herself as an activist and organizer and says she wants to start a Black Mamas group to keep holding those in power accountable. Because if we're present and our voice is heard, I believe that we can make a difference that's relevant to our community. Her son is also looking towards the future. I'm just getting back on track, you know, fixing my life up. Charles is working full-time, but hopes to get back on his original path soon, going to college and starting his own business. Stephanie Daniel, KUNC. Stephanie Daniel is here now to share a bit more about her reporting on this and how the story came together. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Erin. We all witnessed the racial justice protests here in Colorado last summer, uh, not only after the murder of George Floyd, uh, but also the death of Elijah McLean at the hands of the Aurora Police Department and paramedics. Both of these tragedies galvanized people and really paved the way for the legislature here to pass new laws. But the case of Charles Battle II was different for many reasons. Why did you want to tell his story? Unlike George Floyd and Elijah McLean, Charles Battle II survived his encounter with the police. And the charges against him were also dismissed. But as we heard in my story, he suffered a lot of trauma from the arrest and is still working to get his life back on track. So why Charles? Well, his mom, Sharon, summed it up beautifully when she testified in favor of the bill. Charles's experience is not an isolated incident. Show-ups happen every day in cities across Colorado and across the country. I spoke to a couple of criminal defense attorneys, including Amelia Power, who was a former public defender and mom. She worked with Together Colorado and testified in favor of the bill. 
She says most public defenders have represented someone who was identified through a show up. But sometimes that suspect will also be included in another lineup with other people. Of course, this didn't happen with Charles. So his case was actually really perfect for changing the law. The show up identification was the thing that triggered his involvement in the criminal justice system. And a lot of times with show up IDs, it's one of the pieces of evidence that the police have. So his case was was just the perfect case to run for this particular bill. You talked briefly about the new law in the story. Uh, is there anything else you want to add about the regulations? Yeah, the new law puts a lot of guardrails in place that limit when a show up can be done and how it is conducted. Law enforcement agencies must also start collecting data for each show up, which includes the date, technique used, the alleged crime, race and gender of the suspect, and the outcome of the show up. And here's another interesting part of the law. If an eyewitness does make an identification, the police officer must ask their level of confidence. I spoke to Anne-Marie Moyes, who is the director of the Corey Wise Innocence Project at the University of Colorado Boulder School of Law. She says this is important because witness confidence increases over time. Studies show if an eyewitness um, has low confidence but gets feedback from an officer saying, like, good job, or that's who we thought it was, their confidence goes up. And so what you want to do is record confidence, like, at the very moment that the idea is made before there could be any kind of feedback like that. Moyes also says the law is a step in the right direction, but doesn't have a whole lot of teeth in terms of consequences if the regulations aren't followed. What it means is that the court has to take into account in its own evaluation of the constitutionality of the ID that the police did not follow procedures and that they therefore might have um, engaged in what is a suggestive process. But it doesn't mean that the ID is suppressed and cannot be admitted at trial. KUNC Stephanie Daniel, thank you so much for your reporting on this. Thanks for having me, Erin. That's our show for today. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman and Tess Novotny. Digital editing is handled by Ashley Jeffcoat and Jackie High. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thanks so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. 